Hi, James. How are you doing? I'm all right, Gregor. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, well, we're recording on a Sunday again. And, we are. And uh, I've been uptown. Cool. Here in Edinburgh, and it's absolutely jumping uptown. Do you mean busy? I mean busy, yeah. I mean busy, lack of social distancing. I was, I was just about to say, is it mask-wearing, socially distanced busy, or is it stupid busy? On the whole, actually, I would say not too perturbed by most of the stuff that I've seen. I think most yeah. people are still behaving fairly sensibly. I was in a bar last night where the guy... Uh, that went up to the bar, refused to wear a mask. It's quite a small bar. I mean, it's a really compact, compact bar. It's my local. It's a lovely little funky um, niche type place, and the, the owner's quite eccentric and um, just a really interesting bar. And this guy came up, and the owner says, "Look, you're going to have to leave if you're not going to wear a mask while yep. you're standing up." And again, yep. "Oh no, I've got exemption. I've got mental health issues." <laughs> and the bar owner just went, "Don't care." <laughs> just no, I don't care. If you know you can't wear a mask inside, I'll happily say serve you outside. But you're not coming in without a mask, and that's yeah, it. That should should be his prerogative to make that decision. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, on the whole, most things are good. And my office, I have to say, that completely um, on top of everything. Good. Uh, they really are, because uh, I'm still going in the office three days a week, and I'm yeah. pretty, I'm pretty right. on top of it. I went to an actual wedding with actual human beings on Friday. Oh. It, it was it? weird. I'm going to say it like wrong. No. No, it was weird. I've not seen was people it? for about a year and a half, and it was very weird. Did you enjoy it, though? Did you have a good time? That's it was good. I didn't realise how socially exhausting people were. I'd forgotten <laughs> how peopling is really tiring. Yeah. Because uh, I haven't done it for a year and a half, so actually mm. spending a day with people is really tiring. Well, it's interesting because even though the pubs are open, we've had the pubs open. I think your pubs opened just before our pubs. Yeah, there was not much in it, though. But um, the social aspect, uh, the wider social aspect of going to the pub is still not there. Because Sarah and I were in a pub, pub this afternoon um, warming up for tonight. Obviously, um, so I, I warmed up by drinking nearly a bottle of wine, so that's why oh, I'm on the true, brew now true. to keep myself going. <laughs> um, but because they have these little partitions up everywhere, separating yeah. tables, you're not getting the social interaction. No, you know, you're still very much in your own little bubble, um, so it's not quite there yet. It's not quite the experience that it was before. Yeah, no, we haven't been to a pub yet, we've been to a restaurant, we went mm. out for um dinner, should I say, for anybody who's posh and lives down south. Uh, we went for tea, at, um our local Italian, uh-huh. and that was really nice, just yeah. to get out of the house and to have tea that one of us hadn't cooked or hadn't come via, like, Domino's or some other mm. shite pizza company. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know you've seen this, but I do have some news, because you've obviously responded on Facebook, and this is literally breaking news that's la- happened in the last... 20 minutes. I'm very excited. It's not guaranteed, but I have booked the XL opposite the... the Ibis XL opposite the XL arena. Oh, Let, shit. I need, I, I need to book a hotel room. That's a very good point. Right. Okay. Well, I got it for three nights, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for the two of us for £408.50 on their website direct. If you go through Expedia, they want the money up front. 
I've got, um, if it's an IBIS one, um, I've got um, a corporate discount card, so I'll, I'll have a look and see if yeah. I can well, it's obviously, it for slightly cheaper. There's obviously still plenty of rooms, and I was at £400 for the three nights, and the two of yeah. us are going down. I was like, I'll just book it. Oh, yeah. No. I always book it through my card, though, because if I book it through my card, if I want to cancel, it doesn't cost me anything. Right up to yeah. the same morning, I can cancel, and it doesn't mm. cost me anything. So it cost well, me for the card, but... Well, I, that's what I was surprised at because I had to, they didn't even take a deposit off my card. They took my card details, but not yeah. deposit. And I could cancel right up to two o'clock on the Friday. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Better. No, they're a, they're a good chain of hotels. They're the ones who want Ibis. They're very good mm. at letting you cancel. So, uh, yeah, so that's my news. So I've, I've not bought my ticket for DST yet. And if I'm being honest with you, I think I'm just going to go with the £54 three-day entry. Yeah. One. See, I've got a problem because I've got my refund back from Germany. Mm -hmm. So I've got two tickets at 79 euros each, which is my credit, mm -hmm. which is more, no, 89, I think. It, I can't remember. But whatever it is, it works out at more than what the tickets are to go to DST London. So do I forfeit the little bit of extra and go down a tier, or do I pay a little bit more and go up a tier? And mm, it's put know. me in a little bit of a pickle. Well, who are you going with for you? Uh, I've, I don't know if I'm going with the boyfriend or the daughter yet. Probably, right. I, I don't know. It depends what how her school falls. Probably more likely to be the boyfriend because yeah. getting I mean, it's to not, London it's, on a Friday is a bit of a nightmare uh, from school. Uh, yeah, it's not too bad, though, if she has to take even the Friday afternoon off when you got down there sort of Friday tea time. You yeah, know, but then I've got to also add in the amount of money that it's going to cost me in a fine for taking time out of school because that's how England works. Yeah, but does she not need a COVID test that day? <laughs> no, because the little bugger will fail it and then I won't be yeah. able to go anyway. Tell her to go into school coughing and sneezing everywhere and that's it. That's I don't know if that'll make time. a difference in November. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll see. Well, yeah, well, essentially, I haven't made my mind up yet who I'm going with or what day I'm going. Mm -hmm. But even if I have to walk and go on my own, I'm going. Right. Well, Sarah's go Sarah and I, Sarah's not going. Okay. We're both going to go to the hotel. Yeah. Um, Sarah's a bit reluctant to go to DST itself um, because she thinks I'm just, I'm just going to walk around and I'll be disappointed it's not Vegas. Um, and I can understand that. Um, me, myself, I'm happy to go around. Obviously, we spoke about potentially doing what we were going to talk about last week. We spoke about it last yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that. Plus, there was a couple of people that I messaged um, in America earlier uh, in the week who said, yeah, I'm going. So I thought, well, it'd be a good chance to catch up with you. And yeah, that'd be cool. We, You and I can both network with them, and that'll be good. Especially, can we also get to talk to them guys from Manchester who wear the scant uniforms for no reason uh, at all, other the than guy, they want to talk to them? Although, is that not the guy that, that you're talking about? Joe also and from Scotland. Joe and Ewan are from Ayr. Yeah, know, there's, yeah there's, there's four of them. Two of them are from Scotland, and two right. of them are from Manchester. Well, I'll get, we can get Joe and Ewan on the show, no problem, because Joe's yeah, already I, been on the show. I, but so. I want to meet them in the flesh when they're wearing the scant uniforms for no I'll, reason I'll, at all. I'll, I'll message them. I'll message Joe and Ewan <laughs> after this to see if they're going, okay? I know they weren't planning on going to Vegas the last yeah. time I spoke to them, which I think was back in uh, a couple of, three or four months ago now. Um, but I'll also, just to finish off, who's going to DST, I spoke to a couple of the Australian regulars at STLV 
Cool. And they're like, and they're like, no, we're not even getting test. We're not getting test TLB. It's doubtful we'll be leaving Australia come November, so there's not going to be any of the Aussies there. Unfortunately. But, um, I can't say I blame them. I can understand no. the Americans coming from a country that's a similar risk to the UK. It's not much different, but would you want to go from virtually COVID-free Australia to anywhere else in the world? Mm-hmm. Fuck no. No. <laughs> Definitely not. So, yeah, so that's um, good news. And hopefully, yeah. there's, a, there's a couple of people responded to the post already that we know that have said they're going as well on a little roll call uh, appeal. Let's, let's have a look. So, see if there's anybody I like. Well, you don't even like me, so I don't know why you're looking for people. No, it's all right. There is somebody I like. I'm not telling you they are. <laughs> but somebody on that post, I like them. All right, okay. That's fine. But it's, obviously, it's not me. Um, obviously not. You can't give me a promotion. Oh, damn. Did I get Oh, promotion? dear. Damn. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> so, have, is there anything else that we talk about before we're meant to talk about stuff? Is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, don't drink nearly a full bottle of wine before you record a podcast. But well, I've that, got just just uh, as I said, I do have a. Um, Which brew dog are you on today? I'm, I'm still on the Hazy Jane, um, and we're not sponsored by Brew Dog yet. And uh, I, I think I might put that in the description comments this week. Um, I might not be drinking one now, but if I just keep piling up what's on my desk, yeah, that's very impressive. I can, Keep going. There we go. <laughs> That's very impressive. Um, I, I can't fit the last one on top because it'll fall over, or can I? Uh, no, you can try. It's like, oh, just about. There we go. Six oh, cans of Hazy Jane all in a pile. This is like being in a beef on holiday again, where you just keep piling <laughs> the cans in your apartment, you know? You see, from here, I just feel like the shittest pole dancer. <laughs> well, I, wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't try and swing around that and definitely <laughs> Definitely not going to take your weight. Um, I'm only so, yeah. on wine because my partner made a lasagna tonight and that involves opening a bottle of red. So oh, uh, it's only polite to finish it, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, we, we, uh, we went out uptown and we went, mm. to the, we went to the old town. For those that don't know, Edinburgh is... And this is going to really confuse you if you're American. I'm sorry, this is going to confuse you if you're American. The city centre of Edinburgh is made up in two parts. It's made up of the old town mm-hmm. and the new town. And you, you probably know this, but in America, the area we call the new town was built around about 1750. Yeah, that's quite new for Edinburgh. Uh, yeah, and the old town is everything that was pre-1750. And they like both most look, European cities, to be honest. Oh, yeah, and they, look, they both look very different because mm. the new town is built in a very geometric square uh, thing in a classical Greek style, and the old town is just a mismatch of cobbled streets and skyscrapers that fell over. Um, and some of them are still... I'm calling them skyscrapers. They're technically not skyscrapers because a skyscraper... Technically, it's something that has a steel superstructure on the inside supporting it. Uh, these ones in Edinburgh that went up to 16, 17 storeys high, but that was just the old stone walls that was the supporting thing. Mm-hmm. And they used to collapse. <laughs> but some of them are still standing. <laughs> they just used to build on top of them and top of them until they collapsed. Um, pretty grim stuff, actually. But, uh, yeah, so, yes. Sorry, but... Americans to confuse you. The new town is from about 1750. 
It's coming up on 400 years old. <laughs> the new town. Yeah, it's 370 years old or something like that. Now. Or th- yeah, 270 years old. Yeah, I was going to say, it's yeah. nearly as old as America. Nearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So My only reference point for how old America is is the beginning of Hamilton, which it was where it says New York City, 1776. So I know it's around there sometime. Well, they, they, um, I'm, I'm part of my ignorance, but please correct me. I believe that the actual, the Declaration of Independence, which was actually the beginning of the War of Independence, so it wasn't, independence wasn't when they won the war. I think they take their actual, what's the word? Um, foundation? Yeah, statement. we'll go with that. Yeah, that uh, was when they... they they made this, the Declaration of Independence, which was the 4th of July, 1776. We've got a similar one in Scotland, which dates back to the 11th century, I think, and it's called the Declaration of Arbroath. Independence from who? Was that from the English? Um, it was at the time, where, I think it was at the time we were occupied. Again, I Scottish history is quick. I didn't Scottish think the English is, had ever actually taken Scotland. Oh, yeah, they did. Right. Uh, I, I think the longest period was from around about 1300-ish. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit hazy on my dates here. From around about 1300-ish uh, until, I don't know, it was around about 30 or 40 years when we were under English rule. Right. And then we won the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314. And that was basically um, the English banished, and that mm. was it until 1606 with the Union of the Crowns, and then over the next hundred years there was this assimilation. Yeah. Until eventually in 1707 we had the Union of the Parliaments, um, and the Scottish Parliament was dissolved, but we still kept our laws and stuff like that. It's all very complicated. Yeah, yeah. The the relationship between England and Scotland is very weird. Yeah. Anyway. That's all right, one day they'll lower the border to the M62 and I'll be all right, yeah? Well, that's my aim. Have you ever been to Yorkshire? I mean, I know being a Lanky boy, but Yorkshire, you know. I I mean, Sarah hates Yorkshire. She was watching... You do know Sarah's a big rugby league fan, don't you? Uh, I do now. I I thought I'd mentioned this before. You, You probably have, but I was probably drunk. Do you know anything about rugby league? Is that real rugby or is that pretend rugby? I get mixed up between the two. Well, I, I like both codes of rugby. Is it the one where to... they're actually allowed to have a scrap or is it the one where they're all going, oh, no, we can't do that, we're far too posh? Well, they're all, they're all the, the scrap in both, but that's a different story. Well, you don't really need to know much about rugby league to understand the story. You just need to come from Lancashire or Yorkshire, right? So yep. Sarah's a Wigan fan, okay? Yep. And yesterday... I know where Wigan is. They make really know, good kebabs. A Wigan kebab. Yeah. Um, St Helens were playing Castleford. Mm-hmm. So Sarah had no idea who the chief were, you know, because St Helens are Wigan's yeah, yeah. fiercest rifles. Yep. But Castleford are from Yorkshire. I've I never think I'd be cheering for the referee. I've never seen anyone in such inner turmoil in my life. No, I'll cheer for the referee in that regard. And on top of that, JJ's from Castleford. So that really... Yeah, well, you know, we will find a redeeming feature of JJ at some point. 
for listeners that don't know, um, <laughs> JJ has been moaning about dead space and the uh, the recordings. So whenever I can't think of anything to say, or James can't think of anything to say, either of us are going to go. So that I'm just going to rub a pen against my mic, lather. Yeah, oh, brilliant. So that JJ can't see where the dead space is when he's looking at that little graph. Um, you know, you know. So if you wonder what's happening over the next hour, that's what it's. Then, then you're in good company because Gregor and I don't have a fucking clue either. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about? The Borg. Good. It might be a bit of a futile experiment, but haha, did you see what I did there? Yeah. Can, can I um, kick it off by just going off a complete tangent right away then? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but at least that, we've mentioned it. Yeah. Well, does anyone remember the Adam and Joe show on Channel 4 from the 1990? Oh, God, yes. Just about. Right. Did you ever see? Now you may find it. It sometimes appears on YouTube and sometimes it doesn't. It seems to go on and off because of copyright. Probably CBS getting it banned, but they did a a, a thing where it was a, they called it Toy Trek, and they dressed up all these toys in the TNG outfits and they had a little miniature a TNG a Enterprise D bridge, and and. <laughs> It's just brilliant. So they had these little uh, dolls that they, they'd dressed as Borg, okay? And and they had tennis rackets on their back, little toy tennis rackets. And they called themselves the Beyond Borg. Oh. Okay? I don't, I don't know what's worse, the fact, the fact that that happened or the fact that you can actually still watch it on 4OD if you're in the UK. <laughs> Is it on 4 It's, it's honestly, we it's are, one of the... Where are we? Series 3, Episode 4. The Cuddly Toy Collection present their unique version of Stuffed Trek, the toy generation, while the Vinyl <laughs> Justice Squad read the record collection of Mark Morris and the Blue Tones. It's, honestly, it's brilliant. It's like, we are, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, Marina Sortis, Diana Troy, tries to stop them, and it's like, we are to be on Borg. Your annoyingness will be assimilated into our own. And oh. Worf says things like, the Tim Heman would never surrender to the Beyond Borg. Why <laughs> is Data a panda? I, I don't know. It's the Adam and Joe show, who knows? Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. But if, if you just Google Adam and Joe toy trek and click images, there's quite a few bizarre images of Guinan being a great big green stuffed frog. Yeah. Uh, Data's a panda. Yeah. Riker is Riker. And Captain Picard looks like a slightly overloved piglet. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, a line out there. Picard says, fuck this. I'm off to see Whoopi and get pissed. <laughs> to be fair, I wouldn't put it past Patrick Stewart having said that on the set. It, it's like, honestly, it's hilarious. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and that is my favourite Borg episode of TNG. Cool. Oh, yeah, know. my favourite Borg episode of TNG is Emissary. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the tweet that I uh, tagged you in? Uh, which one? You tagged me in a few. Let me have I, a look. I, I was one about a couple of hours ago. Oh, no, not that it, it's, it, has, it has been a topic we've spoken about. On I was being a few. massive nerd a couple of hours ago and was playing Dungeons and Dragons. So oh, let me have a look. Cool. 
It's, uh, it's we have mentioned it several times. <laughs> I fucking love Move Along Home. <laughs> it's the best. Everyone is entitled to disagree with me because they are wrong. Well, I'm good. Move Along Home is the best episode of DS9. Um, that's quite a bold claim to say that Move Along Home is the best episode of DS9. There's a huge number of shall we say, exceptional episodes of DS9. But they're not doing. as good as Move Along Home. In its own way. In its own way, uh, yeah. Um, also, you and your lizard porn. Well, talking about lizard porn, <laughs> uh, someone tweeted a picture. It was a, a collage of pictures from the episode. I'd have forgotten the name of the episode. You mean Threshold? No, the, the one where Chakotay and Janeway are stranded on the planet. Oh, yeah, I can't remember it, but yeah. And, they basically uh, live in a porter cabin. Yeah, they're living in a, they're living in a uh, Father Ted-style caravan. Yeah. Um, or you call it a porter cabin, I call it a Father Ted-style caravan. And uh, I, I, I replied, <laughs> I replied to the tweet that Chakotay obviously wasn't salamander enough for Janeway to consider having children with him. So, to be yeah. fair, if I had a choice between Tom Paris and Chakotay, Chakotay wouldn't be winning. It's, you know, I, I mean, I have to say, I mean, Janeway and uh, um, if she was the last person in the pub that night, I would, yeah, you know. But, uh, no, if I, Janeway were the last person in the pub, I'm going home alone and crying. I, I mean, I, I'm not ruling out Chakotay. Obviously, it depends on how many beers I've had. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, what's the difference between a, a straight guy and a bi guy? About four pints, um, as they say. It depends on the guy. I know guys who it's a lot less than that. I'm divulging far too much about my past history here. Let's carry on. What are we talking about? Yes, Borg. Um, well, we've discussed the B on Borg. Um, we have. Um, now, where do we start? Do we start at the start or do we start at the good bit? So it was the first episode was season two in TNG, wasn't it? And it was it was a Q Who. Q Who, yeah. Where we get to see Guinan being scared from the Borg for yeah. no reason that's ever actually explained. But she does hiss at a Q, a Q. Yeah. She hisses a Q. I, I think when I, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's the best whoopee. Guinan impersonation I've ever seen for those that are listening <laughs> for those that are listening. <laughs> uh, but Mining on, a, on an audio podcast, it's the future. Yeah. On a serious note though, I think that first episode where you see the Borg, you truly get the the fear and the uh, relentlessness of what the hive mind is meant to be. Yeah. Um which does get spoiled. I'm sure we'll talk about what spoiled the Borg in later versions of Star Trek and in the movies. But that, you know, that hive mind, you know, it was the whole thing was, well, this is a Borg cube. You can destroy this Borg cube and but there'll be more of them. And they'll just take the lessons from losing that cube. Yeah. And it's when they go on board and it's the Borg are like, well, you're not going to harm us, so we're not going to fight you because that's that would be a waste of resource that would be a completely futile exercise on our part. 
But when you do have us, we'll react and we'll react accordingly. So that aspect of the board that was lost, but that is what made them truly, truly terrifying when they were first introduced in that episode. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was the futility of fighting them, which was lost as Voyager decided to rewrite how Borg work. Um, well, was it Voyager or uh, which one came first? Which Borg uh, queen came first? It was First Contact. First Contact was the, the, the one that started it, unfortunately. Was that before... I'm struggling to remember where real world chronologically that fits in. Well, first contact was 1996, and I don't think we saw the Borg until the end of season three of Voyager, and I'm pretty sure Scorpion went out in either late 1997 or early 1998. I'm pretty confident of that. Scorpion was season three, episode 26, broadcast 21st of May 1997. Mm. Ah, so mid, mid 97. So, but yeah, about, about a year after. Yeah, contact. I knew they were of a similar era, but I just wasn't 100% sure which way around it was. And uh, that pretty much killed the board, so I don't think we've got much left to talk about then, actually. That's... But, but 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 we have because we haven't even talked about about the the, the beautifulness that is Hugh. Um, with or without his makeup. Um, yes. I'm going to take that as <laughs> as both. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> with, with or without his eye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. I believe he's going to be at DST anyway, isn't he? He is, yes. He's on the um, guest list. I got rather excited when I saw that. I'm not going to lie. And will you be paying for his panel? Oh, is that a euphemism? <sighs> Sorry. Um, I mean, yes, yes, I will be attending that 100% non-sexual talk. Or his exclusive panel. Let's well, not talk about Jonathan Delacroix. Well, oh. well, I mean, it's better than last week's chat where we were trying to describe what a square sausage was to those that had never heard of Lord Sausage. Yeah, at least they know what a Jonathan Delacroix is. And the thing is, I mean, it's my personal opinion, but I, I do like a really good quality square sausage or a Lord sausage, eh, as it's known here. But um, we all know the difficulty of putting a, a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole, you know, where that's just the, the advantage. Put it in, it's easy, it's easier to eat a link sausage than a square sausage, isn't it? Let's ho just hope that the board left some bits alone and leave it at that, shall we? All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, 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 there's a lot of pepper in a lawn sausage, which gives it that spiciness. It's, that's why it's such a spicy sausage. Well, maybe Borg nanites have the same sort of effect. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, I wonder if uh, Gigi's going to listen to this. <laughs> Gigi's probably already got his head in his hands, shaking his head, going, oh my goodness, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's get back to the Borg. Mm. Uh, impossible to talk about the Borg and not talk about best of both worlds. Yes, it's got to be done. So... Often recognised as 
one of the top 10 episodes. I, think, I don't think I've ever seen a top 10 list of Star Trek episodes where Best of Both Worlds hasn't featured in it somehow. No, and I can see why it is a brilliant double episode. And of course... Even if it does have Shelby in it. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't mind Shelby. I mean, she was meant to be the young to Riker's gang. Yeah, you know, but... big, big hints. Don't write on Twitter that you hate Shelby because sometimes the actress responds and looks a little bit offended and then you feel really bad. Oh, um, do you want to expand on that? That sounds interesting. Why don't you expand on that? You'll have to give me a few minutes to find the actual okay. tweet. Okay, I'll cover this while you're doing that. Uh, so this sounds very interesting, folks. If you're listening, uh, James is looking for a tweet. Did he upset the actress whose name escapes me at the moment that played Lieutenant Commander? Shelby. That's why I can't find the tweets because I'm trying to find it. Hang on. <laughs> Shelby TNG. So oh, he's dead. He's dead. I knew she. I know she's called Elizabeth. Ah, there we go, Elizabeth Dennehy. Well, she's Brian. Know. Isn't she Brian Dennehy's daughter? I don't know. The, the actor, he, he was the sheriff in Rambo, he was in Cocoon, really well-known uh, American actor, really good American actor. He was in lots of really good films in the 70s and 80s. How do I search within my own... Oh, I don't know how to find it. Right, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I can't find the tweets. Okay. So, essentially, I put a thing out hiring, saying how I hated um, Shelby. She was horrible, she was... Blah, 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 blah. And then the actors actually responded with a um, words to the effect of, well, that's not very nice. And then I had to explain that, no, the fact I hated her meant you were doing your job properly. <laughs> I'm not saying you're a shit actress. I'm saying I hated your character. But I was meant to hate your character because it was written that way. And then I just felt really, really shit because um, I wasn't meaning to have a go at the person who portrayed the character. I was meaning to have a go at the character. Well, I, I wasn't expecting that to be as bad as that, but I thought your behaviour there was absolutely disgusting. Good. <laughs> don't care. No, no what you mean, I, I, it wasn't, but you do make a good point. If you're hating them, they're doing their job right. As long as they're meant to be hated. Um, let's get back on Let's just go straight to DS9, which never yeah. featured the board. But, you know... Emissary. Kind of... The whole of... The whole of Cisco's backstory. Yeah. Emissary. Okay, that... Right, okay. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) The only episode with the Borg in it is Emissary in the opening before the credits go up. Okay, right. We've got that. Right, okay. You you top top Trump trekked me, Okay. Hey, I only get to do it like once a season, so this is my time. Because <laughs> the rest of the time, you're just telling me I'm wrong, and I normally am. But today, okay. I'm going to make, I'm going to impersonate a character from DS9, and I want you to tell me who it is. Quark. Jennifer. Um. Jennifer. Is it's that been... is that Max Godenchick? Is that you doing an impression of her? Oh, oh um, close, because they're both on the same space station, so it's close in that respect. Okay. Um, but they do spend the first three seasons saying the word Jennifer like this. Jennifer! Sometimes you get an, ah! Oh, Jennifer! Um, and 
I've, I've, I've lost my track why you, I was going to follow this I was going to follow this really bad joke up with something else well um, you said moving on apart from DS9 where the Borg don't feature and then I interrupted and told you that they do you've completely flustered me now you've total I mean not that I was on track to begin with but you've completely I'm, I'm not just off the I'm not just derailed I'm down the ravine and into the field of cows with the train now that's you know, we need JJ. No, we don't need JJ. No, we don't need JJ. Don't, 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 don't. Careful what you wish for. Ridiculous thing to say. We had That's... JJ last week. That were enough. I know, I know. It's so, I, I, I was saying something about it. Oh, yeah, Kai Wen, Kai Wen. Here we go. Right. Um, I'm hating, hating a character because the actor's performance is mm. tremendous. What about Kai Wen and DS9? Yeah. You know, and Louise, yep. Fle- Louise Fletcher, I mean, Louise Fletcher is obviously an Oscar-winning actress. Won the Best Actor Oscar for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. So absolutely top-drawer talent there. But every single episode that she was in, what a performance. And you hated her. You hated her. Yeah. You were meant to hate her. The one where they got it wrong was Dr. Pulaski. Because <laughs> I don't think you were meant to hate her. But she was written, so I couldn't help but hate her. <laughs> Again, nothing against the actors. She was playing what was written. But, oh, I hate that character so much. But I blame the writers. Right. Gregor looks like I'm about to get slapped. Luckily, Gregor's in another country. Right. I hear this a lot about the Pulaski hate. Right, okay. And I'm going to defend... The character of Pulaski. I'm okay. not gonna I'm not gonna defend Diana Mordor because there was obviously some friction between Diana Mordor and the production team and the actors. Diana Mordor played what was written really well. And I, don't I know, cannot fault her for that. I don't know what was wrong with I don't know why there was the friction here. I actually thought the Pulaski character was a really good character. I thought if you compare Dr. Pulaski in season two to Dr. Crusher in season one, I would have Dr. Pulaski every single day of the week. And they've started to go down the route with her friction with Data, and it was actually really well done. And she had some great moments. The one, the episode, I've forgotten it, where they have the aging virus. Mm. You know, so... I know what one you mean. Don't ask me what it's called. You know, great moment. Um... But for some reason, that that Diana Maldora wasn't getting on with the rest of the cast. I think the rest of the cast had had quite a good relationship with uh, Gates and wanted Gates back. But I don't think the Beverly Crusher character in season one was a good character. I think Beverly Crusher obviously became a great character, but was nowhere near Dr. Pulaski in season two. That's looking at it, and it's, you know, looking at both of them in their within isolation and removing, you know, oh God, I loved Beverly and all this other stuff. But looking at those two and those isolation, that season one and season two, I think that's where I would stand on that. I just found her too officious and up her own arsehole. Well, like a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, but if you're living with the doctor, you don't really want them to be like that. Mm. Yeah. It's, that's not what Star Trek doctors are normally like. But I, I think they were trying to make her more of a, a foil or 
Maybe, maybe not a foil, because that, that, that implies more I don't think she was written roundedly enough, which leads to just having this quite... this just facade of not being very nice or relatable. Um, and again, I 100% lay all of the blame on the writers, um, because they're the ones who wrote the character and made her that way. Um well, to be fair, season two was the season of the writer strike, which is why it's so inconsistent. It's why you have moments like Measure of a Man and Q Hugh, and I think Pen Pals is a season two one as well. But for each one of those you have in season two, you've got Shades of Grey, mm. you know, because um, the there was the writer strike. I think the writing team did fairly well. Morris Hurley, that was the season that Morris Hurley was in charge, I think, of the writing team. Um, and Michael Pillar took over at the end of season two. Um, and I, 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 I'll, I'll take my hat off to Morris Hurley. He wasn't a Star Trek person. I think he did his best. And I think if it wasn't for Mor Morris Hurley, we wouldn't have had Measure of a Man. We wouldn't have had Ben Pals. We wouldn't have had all that stuff because he did his best to stick to the, the Roddenberry thing about um, optimism and allegory to tell the story. Yeah, uh, it was, and it was only when Pillar, Michael Pillar came in in season three that they went for more. They, they did that, but they brought in the more character-driven stuff. So, uh, if it was a ethical dilemma, that would be a Beverly Crusher story within her character, mm. um, for example. So, yeah, I mean, season two's got its detractors, but I think there's some pillars in season two. But there's some absolute stinkers as well. Yeah, but we could be talking about any series, any season of any series <laughs> with that description. They all have amazing and shit episodes. Obviously, you're not going to agree that that's the same for every series because, you know, oh, New Trek bad because I'm Gregor. But other than that... I keep waiting for it to get good and it's not. That's the thing. It's not. I don't know if you see seen JJ and I falling out about Picard earlier on Twitter. Well, I didn't fall out. But, um, you know, he's he's rewatching Picard as JJ. Has, has JJ seen Picard? I don't know why he's rewatching Picard because he's not watched DS9. I was going to say, it's not it's not Voyager. Why is JJ watching it? He's not, he's not, I don't think you should be watching Picard for the second time when you haven't seen DS9 for the first time. I, I, I agree. I love Picard, but I'm still going to agree that you are absolutely correct there. Yeah. I really enjoy Picard. I. Everybody loves an Irish Romulan and Tal Shiar agent, yeah? That, that's what. Dis right, that's one of the things that really disappointed me about Picard. Wasn't. You know, we've spoken about it before, wasn't and an Irish just by Romulan. mentioning it, you'd be off. It wasn't I... <laughs> It's the fact that they abandoned them. So here was this. Fascinating. This is what you, this is what frustrates me about New Trek. It's like I'm starting to learn where Gregor's touch paper is, and I can just light it and stand back and watch the fireworks. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I mean, I'm watching. Although I have to say, linking our current conversation to um, the topic of the week, screw you, Picard writers for killing Hugh for no good bloody reason. It was a pointless death of a legacy character that was just an absolute waste that could have been used so much better. It didn't progress the story. It didn't have 
I don't mind characters dying for good reason. I'm not saying don't kill characters. But why the hell they killed Hugh, I have no idea. What a waste of a brilliant legacy character played by the same actor who wanted to play it again. And screw you, whoever wrote that episode. I don't know who wrote the actual episode, but Michael Chabon was obviously in charge. So he ultimately it falls with him. But the, the, the thing with the... It's like you, that scene where Seven plugs herself back into the cube... You think this is this is going to have repercussions, and then two minutes later, it doesn't have any repercussions because it's all over. Yeah, uh, it's that type of storytelling that frustrates me with uh, New Trek. It's you know, either an idea doesn't get time to develop or gets completely sidelined immediately, and that's what frustrates me. I, I, I mean, I haven't got time for detractors of Discovery or Picard who pick on. The, the diversity or the LGBT elements or the science. Oh, no, wait, I'm going to, because I pick on the science. I'll put, I pick on the science and discovery. So I'm going to, refer, I'm going to alter what I'm about to say. The, the technology, as in the way the ships looks and the hologram stuff and that, I have absolutely no issue with that. I, fucking hell, I wish, I wish fucking TNG looked like discovery at times. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Can you imagine if somebody produced now a series that looked like TNG in the 90s? You'd be like, what the hell's this? I'm not watching this. Looks like somebody's recorded it at home on their phone. <laughs> Actually, no, it'd look better if you recorded it at home on your phone. That's the point. It's Technology has come on so far since 1990-whatever, or 80-whatever, depending which season we pick. Yeah. But, oh, the, I mean, the, the thing with it, right, with it, um, I'm, go I'm going to have a go at the Discovery detractors here, okay? Go on. I'm not, I'm not on all their side. I'm on some of their side, but I'm not on all their side. The ones who talk about the technology in particular, I've got a real beef with. Yeah. Um, amongst the other ones that I have real beefs with, <laughs> beefs with, okay, that detract for me for stupid reasons. The ones that say, oh, the technology is more advanced than the original enterprise. Well, fucking hell, of course it is. You know, I remember watching reruns of TOS in the 1970s, okay? Mm -hmm. And I thought the bridge looked dated yeah. when I was about eight years old, okay? Well, it's, it's like I saw a meme on um, the internet the other day of somebody on the bridge of the original Enterprise carrying around a clipboard with, in, with paper yeah. and instructions on it. Mm. And it said something along the lines underneath of, we, we can travel faster than the speed of light, but we still haven't got a clue what an iPad is. Yeah, well, which would be a great example. We we've lived in fifty years of technology advances that nobody's seen mm. fifty years ago. Okay, so the bridge looked dated in nineteen in the yep. mid mid seventies. Yeah, from when it was created, when it looked revolutionary, um, and what are the reasons that TNG doesn't look quite as dated as the TNG bridge had the touchscreens. Yes. Now we're only now beginning to see more of the um, VR type controls. Yes. Okay. And the head up displays and stuff like that, which are, to be honest, are actually fairly common now. Yeah. In real life, never mind on board U the USS Discovery or yeah. the Enterprise version of, of the Discovery version of the Enterprise, I should say. So that's absolute rubbish. But the, the thing that really does me with it, all, all shows are a pro 
are a um, product of their time. Very much so. All shows are a product of their time. Okay. Now, there's an episode of TNG where Jean-Luc Picard is talking in his ready room to Riker. And Jean-Luc yeah. Picard's on his screen and Riker says to him, what are you doing? And uh, Jean-Luc Picard says, oh, something else. It's a little hobby of mine. I keep trying to solve Fermat's last theorem, which when that episode was filmed, Fermat's last theorem hadn't been proven. Yeah. And then I think it was about two years later, was that the mathematician Andrew Wilson actually came up with a proof of Fermat's last theorem. Yeah. So there's something 300 years in the future where we haven't solved it, and then two years later we have. Yeah. So don't go moaning about the technology on the discovery or the technology in Picard. Yeah. It's a futile exercise, and I have absolutely no issues with that. If that's why you hate discovery and that's why you hate Picard, you're hating for hating's sake. Pick on the real stuff that you think's wrong with it, not that nonsense stuff. The LGBT stuff, I don't get, you know, I, I get annoyed with people that get annoyed with it. Um, maybe it's, just I'm a, a, it's just an excuse to have a homophobic rant, that's all that is. Well, I'm a bit, I'm, maybe I'm a bit more pragmatic in that I'm a 50-year-old straightish white guy, depending on how much I've had to drink. <laughs> um, and I think we've had a good run on TV, so it doesn't bother me. Yeah. That doesn't bother me that much. I'll get a little bit annoyed with certain elements of the Discovery fan club who go on about a Discovery like it's the only show that has diversity. Yes, yes, no, I'll agree with you there. Okay, I don't, at, at this moment in time, I'm not picking too many fights with them on Twitter or Facebook, but it does annoy me a wee bit. Um, but if, again, if that's why you don't like Discovery, you've never watched Star Trek in my opinion. Correct. <laughs> so, you know, that's an you've absolute... You've never watched Riker fall in love with a genderless alien. You've never watched well, what, what, what Kirk a Uhura. Well, I would do that, to be fair. Uh, if I got a no, chance. but a lot of people back then wouldn't, and that's yeah. why it was... Yeah. Oh, yeah, for in terms of the interracial aspect with Kirk and Uhura. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that one you're talking about, the, the outcast, what an episode that is. Yeah. And I've heard... Now, one of the criticisms, and this is interesting, one of the criticisms I've heard of the outcast is that they wish they had, they had been braver and cast a male... Uh, actor as the androgynous asexual species. Yes. Um, I'm not sure that would you didn't, that. You didn't mean asexual then, did you? Uh, weren't they asexual? The androgynous asexuals? They didn't have sex or gender? But didn't she have sex with Riker? Well, she wanted to, but they don't usually. They usually well, didn't, didn't they only use have... a third gender in order to have sex? Am I on the wrong? No, that was, no, that was a co cogenitor. And from Enterprise, and Trip tries to free the third. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've got the and then that, slightly yeah. mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry um, on. I thought uh, this. I thought, I thought in the oh, Offspring. because I, I watched the Offspring the other night. <laughs> the the Outcast. They only had sex for procreation. Yeah. So that would make them asexual. In my interpretation, I'm happy to be corrected on that but obviously they were genderless and well they, they were what they were and that, that was the whole point of the the, uh, the story I'm not convinced that a male actor would have made much difference if you actually understand the story 
I think it would have made more controversy at the time. I will say that, which would have maybe got more people talking about it, but that's a different thing. There we go. Sorry, my internet had a hiccup. I thought you were just sitting really still for a moment, actually. No, it, it does that. Every now and again, it just has a hiccup for 10 or 15 I seconds. I don't know if you heard anything that I just said there. Uh, I didn't, but while you were talking, I did um, read a little bit into um, The Outcast, which is, they're described as being an androgynous race, um, they're called the Janai, and one of them dares to step forward and say, I am a female. Which I think is why people say that the that Discovery had the first um, non-binary character. Uh, I think that's where that argument comes from, in that this character isn't non-binary because she decided to be female, if that makes sense. She decided to go against her society and come out as female. So I think that's where their argument is coming from. I don't agree because um, this is showing a whole society of non-binary people that, yeah. It, are they the first non-binary character in Star Trek? Uh, that's semantics, and I'm not too concerned about that. The fact their representation is in Discovery is really important, but the whole arguments about whether they were first or not, I really couldn't care less, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't have I don't have a problem with the representation. I think I've said to you before, I would like to see um, more nuance and complexity in some of the characters. Uh, but again, that's down to writing, that's not down to the, the social aspects yeah. of it. So. But so. no, the... The um, non-binary representation in Discovery is brilliant. I really love that. Blue does a phenomenal job in the role of Adira, and it's just really well played, and they do it really, really well. Um, my issue is when people say, that's the first time we've ever seen it in Star Trek. It's like, is it? But don't let that detract away from it, if that makes oh, sense. I, the, the point is, though, it's like, if you're going to go down and talk about these topics, right, they're incredibly complex and they're incredibly nuanced. Now, I did get into a bit of a Twitter fight with someone uh, on this one, where I, about Jadzia. Yep. You know, and the constant swap my sexes. Yep. Okay. And... They responded with some rather convoluted answer about how Jadzia wasn't trans. And I said, well, she's more or less this trans because she keeps swapping her backs, rather, not she. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps changing genders. And then I've got, no, 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 because it's a symbiote. And it's like, yeah, but that's what it's representing. Yeah, no, I, that's a really difficult argument to have on either side of that argument because we haven't really got anything to compare it to. I, I I can't imagine. It's not something that a human brain can fathom. Is what happens when you meld with a symbiont, and that fifty percent of it is you and fifty percent is them, and how does that affect your gender identity? Well, God knows, because most of us can't figure out our own bloody gender identity without bloody having 
magic worms in our tummies. But if, if you are a writer of Return of the Virus, Stephen Bear, or Ronald D. Moore, or Robert Hewitt Whoop, you can do great stuff with that. Oh, yeah, very much so. Uh, and the debt, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, the argument of would Jadzia class as trans, I have no idea because I've never had a worm in my belly to be able to even begin to think what that feels like. Well, you know what? Nobody has any idea because the only person that can decide is Jadzia. Yes, who's fictional, so we've no clue. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you are very correct there. Somebody who's only trans if they tell you that they are essentially. Yeah. Well, no. I was just I was just picking a bit of a fight. Yeah. No, but you weren't wrong with what you said. I don't think. But no. Um, right. What were we talking about? It, we we were meant to be talking about the Borg. Let's go back to the Borg. Well, but there's an interesting thing because if you're a sunny lead, what's your gender? I will believe they are probably agender by that point because they don't have their own impulses, their own feelings, their own sense of self. All of that is eradicated when they become a member of the collective. So they're a bit like the Conservative Party? No, no, because I think the collective as a whole has a soul. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But no, um, it's like I, I believe they are <laughs> asexual, agender. They are literally drones. How do they? I, I think this may or may have been covered because they. I think it's Voyager that does it. Are we on yeah. about babies in maturation chambers? That's the word. That's the word. Maturation. Well done. You're you're really good at this. <laughs> like I've watched Star Trek before. <laughs> Yes, the babies in the maturation chambers. Yeah, I don't know how they come about, whether it's done like via cloning style technology. Was that the question is, was that before or after the Matrix? Which Matrix? The 1999 Matrix when they had all the, the chambers. I, th I thought that might be what you were referring to, and then I thought, yeah. oh, this is going to be some episode of Star Trek that is called The Matrix, and I don't know what he's talking about. I'm pretty sure it probably is an episode called The Matrix, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I imagine that that would be some sort of cloning technology. Yeah, I think it probably is. Pretty sure they referenced that it was cloning. They, they uh, might have done. I, I don't know. I sometimes don't pay much attention. Like JJ to DS9. No, 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 because I watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and JJ hasn't seen D mm. DS9. Just for the oh, listeners out, listeners out. Borg uh, speculated to be the Borg's natural offspring with the augmentation of artificial implants beginning immediately after birth. Uh, they don't pre procreate amongst themselves and they take youths. Sorry, and youths taken, taken by the collective are placed in maturation chambers. Right, so they don't breed, they just steal babies. A bit like the Conservative Party. No, because again, Borg have souls. So, yeah, I... I, I like it, this was Voyager though, so I don't think that was a theme that got explored 
as thoroughly as it should have done. No, apparently um, Riker in 2365 speculated that the Borg have natural offspring, but then it was subsequently discovered later on in Voyager that they don't have natural offspring and that they're all kidnapped babies. Right. I mean, why would they need to do that when they're just assimilating all the time is the other question, really, isn't it? I mean, unless, unless, I mean, unless you've run out of beings to assimilate, it's because the producers of Voyager really loved sticking prosthetics on babies. They that's, did it a lot. That sounds way let's, too That sounds way too Jimmy Savile. <laughs> no, but they did. It was like, oh, look, here's a baby. Let's glue some horns on it or whatever. Okay, I, I really don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> or the babies, what kind of route is this to go down? Naomi Wildman. Oh, well. Little baby, and they stuck horns on her head. Yeah, but I've seen pictures of her now, and yeah. <laughs> That's not what I was referring to when I was talking about oh, horny right, Naomi okay. Wildman. Okay, okay. Uh, oh, were they horns or what? Were they horns on Naomi Wildman's forehead? Horns, spikes, whatever they were. That must have, because her mum didn't have them. That must have no, been No, she'll, she'll have known on the way out, though, won't she? My God. <laughs> Ooh. Pull out. You'd have definitely wanted a cesarean birth for that one, wouldn't you? My yeah. goodness. Yeah. Talk about tearing. Yeah. Uh, well, at least, I mean, they were quite blunt for a lot of the time. They are quite smooth, though, more like... Yeah. Although I suppose, you know, like, trying to give birth to a Ferengi with any ears would also be equally as awkward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When did the Ferengi ears grow, though? There's a question. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're a puberty thing. Maybe they start off with little ears, because they are the sexual organ in a way, aren't they? Because of umox and stuff. Well, they're very erogenous. Yeah. A, a minimum. So uh, maybe they do get bigger when they hit whenever Ferengi puberty is. Well, I don't know. See, Depends what age you're allowed to open a bank account, I suppose. Well, see, I imagine that's puberty. Well, see, the interesting thing is when human babies are born, the eyes are full size. Mm. Uh, so as as with the Ferengi, are their ears full size when they're born? That would be hilarious. And if, if, Although having seen Nog develop from being about eleven to being an adult, I would say no, because otherwise, when he was tiny, he would have had huge ears. Yeah. So if, no, because I think we'd have seen that in Nog. But if they are born with um, full size ears as babies, you couldn't take them out in the windy day, or they'd be like a kite. <laughs> No, but if you didn't want them to run away, you could stick them on a pole in the garden and they'd just spin round. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. Could, you could generate your own electricity from them. <laughs> oh, somebody tell Disney we need to write Monsters, Inc. 4. So, I, again, I don't know what that's got to do with the Borg. Other than the Borg were in DS9, as you rightly pointed out. In Emissary. Yeah, so that's a good excuse to talk about DS9 again. Well, the Borg are responsible for a lot. They're responsible for the beginning of DS9. They're responsible for the ridiculously stupid ending to Voyager. Um, sorry, I don't like Voyager's ending. Um, I just think it's a massive cop-out. They could have done so much more with it. And the whole Admiral Janeway coming back mm. from the future, having a 
party with the Borg Queen and them all getting home just seems a little bit... It's too easy. Well, the, the ultimate problem is that became, that came around because they didn't actually have a plan. Yeah. They had, they, they had this concept of throwing them 70,000 light years away and then potentially doing seven areas of space for seven seasons. So yeah. the... The, the Kazon space, the Vidian space, mm. the Herogen space, you, you know, Borg space, obviously, uh, the time people, Anorak, Anoraks. I don't know. Yeah, they, they, they were Krill or something like that, weren't they? The Krill, Krill? Oh, yeah. Is, yeah, is it not what so, yeah. whales eat? I don't know. Um, you know, that was meant to be... So that, that was a great concept, but the... And this was probably Berman wanted it to be episodic. Uh, Berman. So it didn't do all, you know. It not all his decisions were bad with Star Trek, you know. He gave us Deep Space Nine, let Ira run the show. That was his decision. So the the only good decision Rick Berman made was that somebody else can do the job instead of him. <laughs> Well, he picked Michael Pillar as well for uh, TNG. Yeah. Part of being a good leader is getting the right people. Yeah, you're still not going to get me singing Berman's praises. You're going to struggle. That's almost like getting you to say that you think Discovery is the best episodes, uh, the best series of Star Trek. It's just not going to happen. You must admit, even Mussolini had the trains running on time in Italy. You know. Yeah, yeah. But still a baddie. Hmm. Well, what's your favourite Borg episode then? Emissary. I thought you'd have guessed that by now. Yeah. I like Emissary because I like seeing the bits where Cisco's on the ship and you see the ship being destroyed. Because one thing Star Trek never does or did up until that point will show you when Starfleet lose. We never see it that distinctly, that directly, that we see the panic, the escape, uh, the, the real fear, the real, real danger. Well, there's the, the, there's the straight line from Emissary back to Best of Both Worlds. Very much so. Very episode, much so. episode two. It's almost like a three-part episode. Right, and the, uh, ble- I believe the point you're making is that in the best of both worlds, uh, episode two, you see the Enterprise turning up at the aftermath of the Battle of Wheel 359. But yeah. in the emissary, we, you see what happened to the people who were fighting yes. in the Battle of Wheel 359. Which, up until emissary, we'd never really seen that side of Starfleet. We'd never seen the defeat side. And that's really important. Or the human side, because it was very much the human side of very, lost very for, so. for Cisco. Very much so. Who, who was it you lost? Uh, Jennifer! Jennifer! <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer! I used to say that to girls. And, and you know, what's your name? And they go, Jennifer. In the hope that one of them was called Jennifer. <laughs> when I was single, I'd say, I'd, you know, in the pub channel. What's your name? Oh, I'm Jennifer. I'd go, Jennifer. Then they never talk to me again. And we wonder why your partner's not called Jennifer. 
Oh no, wait, we don't, because you chased all of those away. <laughs> yeah. and, and you wonder why my partner looks like the Borg Queen. <laughs> well, she's a Borg Queen's bloody attractive. Uh, I can understand. Which you talking about, Alice Creek? Yeah. Alice hmm. Creek is gorgeous. It's very BDSM, though, isn't it? You say that like it might be a bad thing. I'm not. I'm just trying to figure out where we're going with this. <laughs> no, she's she's also lovely. I don't know if you've met her, but she's also absolutely bloody lovely. I have never met Alice Creek. She's obviously got quite a good career because she obviously appeared in, if you don't know this, Chariots of Fire. Did she? Yeah. She was the girl. Oh, yes. Think, she played Sybil Gordon. I think she was Star Trek Link, Ben Cross's girlfriend in The Chariots of Fire, who I'm played Sarek in the 2009 film. What else has she been in? Oh, yes. She played the Queen in A Christmas Prince as well, which is one of those horrendous Hallmark style Christmas movies. Oh, uh, God. I remember watching that with my daughter and going, that's the Borg Queen! It was in the OA as well, which is a terrible programme. I think I thought OA was incredibly disappointing. I put the solve the world's problems by um, interpretive dance at the end of the episode, the season. So, yeah, I think we need a... <laughs> yeah. That seems fair. So, but again, big, big guest star to get is uh, Alice Creek. I, I, do you know who Gene Simmons is now? I know you were getting your Gene Simmons mixed up. No. We're, st we're still on that one. He's still doing his kiss thing. Yeah. <laughs> the older listeners, the older listener, sorry, will know who Gene, when I say Gene Simmons. I love the fact that we've only got one listener and you've just called them old. <laughs> well, we've got two. We've got Ian and we've got Stuart, who obviously has responded on Twitter, so we'll be getting Stuart on very soon, I think. Yes. So. Hello again, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. And I'm looking forward to receiving your notes from this week where I've been uh, wrong again. Yeah, I like Stuart's notes. I like the way I said, actually, this is from this episode. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't know that at the time. Keep those notes coming, Stuart. And yes. if, if Ian Strollers is listening, this is for you, Ian. Jar Jar Trek. Ian loves it when I say Jar Jar Trek. No, because I liked Jar Jar Binks. How old were you when Jar Jar Binks was? Sorry? How old, were you? How old were you when you met Jar Jar Binks? I was 1999, in case you're looking it up. I, I, I was looking it up. 1999, I was 50. I'm trying to do maths now. Come back to oh, 17. 17. Okay, so you met Jar Jar Binks when you were 17 and yes. liked him. Yes. Are you the oldest Jar Jar Binks fan in the world, is the question. Jar Jar Binks is the best thing out of Space Wizards the Saga. Sorry, I mean Star Wars. 
I don't like Star Wars. <laughs> but but <laughs> no, I, I'm not a Star Wars fan. But I quite liked Jar Jar Binks. But to me, Jar Jar Binks didn't spoil a thing I loved because I didn't really love it in the first place anyway. So. Um, do you know what spoiled... Right, I don't like that. I liked Star Wars when I seen it in the cinema. And I was seven years old and I seen the first one in the cinema. Yep. And then I grew out of it. That's the thing. I just want my sci-fi and my fantasy to be distinctly separate things. I don't need space wizards. Hmm. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Excalibur? Sadly, oh my God, that is like two hours of my life that I will never get back. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Really? It is horrific. It's amazing. It's not. What, what do you not like about it? Why don't you like it? It's oh it's what one of my friends is one of the biggest king arthur nerds in i've ever met in my life um and he told me it was this phenomenal film and i sat down to watch it and i'm just like what the fuck is mordred wearing um mordred in excalibur reminds me of blooming What's her face in Spaceballs? What's she called? The one who's not C3PO in Spaceballs. Uh, played by that female comedian whose name escapes me, who's dead. Um, that doesn't. Madeline. Oh. Madeline no. Can. No, 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 no. Um, Spaceballs cast. What the hell is she called? John Rivers as Dot Matrix in Spaceballs just reminds me of Mordred in Excalibur. Um, all right, it's got Patrick Stewart in it. All right. He's better when he's being Robin Hood in The Next Generation. Um, it's just, no, I just don't like it. I'm sorry. Oh, my God, the cinematography. It's the, horrendous. It's just... The Wagner soundtrack, right, that's it. Clearly, JD's going to have to get two new people to host this next week because you and I aren't going to get on. That's, that's it, done. That's it, finished. I just don't like it. Don't like it? I want to watch Excalibur. No. Don't mind. Don't like it. I don't want to watch Excalibur. I've watched it once. I've <laughs> suffered. I, I've served my time. Did you not even get that reference there? I want to watch Excalibur. Don't like it. I got it. I just, just didn't want to follow the Little Britain line. Oh. But no. Oh. You've upset me now. Excalibur was, was a film that happened. I'm going to see if you get to Edinburgh. I'm going to drag you into my house. I'm going to get you in my living room. I'm going to plank you in front of my big Sony telly with my cinema sound. And I'm going to make you watch Excalibur. And that scene where Sir Percival throws the sword back into the lake to Wagner's Siegfried's funeral march, full blast, so the neighbours are knocking on my fucking door, and you'll go, that's fucking brilliant. I won't. I'll go, oh, Gregor, Sarah's, why are you making me watch this shit again? Sarah's just walked into the kitchen. He fucking hates Excalibur. Oh, 
Oh, I'm, I'm shouting, he fucking hates Excalibur. And Sarah goes, oh, hi. Because it's shit. Says it's shit. Not shit. It's a good story. Yeah, it's good story. Doesn't oh, matter. Read the Mabinogi on, it's a better version. James and I are getting divorced, so it doesn't matter now. It's, it's, it's <laughs> irrevocable. Okay. <sighs> Honestly, man. How did you and you, as you can see, the white balance on my screen has changed because the sun's moved. So I'm looking a lot more blue now because the sun's... Yep. Did you see how quickly that happened? It, it did. It happened really quite quickly. I've got a really bright light in here, so it doesn't change very much. In here. Mm -hmm. So, um, the Borg. Oh, yeah, the Borg. Yeah, we're meant to be talking about those, though, aren't we? <laughs> Who appeared in Emissary. And then gave us a, a, another 170 brilliant episodes thanks to their appearance in Emissary. Yeah. And then Voyager brought them. Yeah. And then Picard murdered them. Well, um, did we agree earlier that it was first contact? Sorry, yes. First, well, first contact broke the mould. Voyager then dropped the mould and Picard pissed on it when it was on the floor. See, the interesting thing I find with the first contact aspect of breaking the mould is, so I've got to use my mathematic skills here. So if you were I'm seven, already, I'm lost. So if you were 17 when you met Jar Jar Banks, you'd have been mm -hmm. four, 14 when you seen the Borg Queen. Okay. For the first time. Sounds about right. And clearly found her sexy. But... The because uh, you did find her sexy. Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to admit to that, but in a guilty kind of way. Um, so, in 1996, when First Contact came out, when you watch that film now, and this is a testament of how massive Star Trek was at that time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There were so few concessions to the cinema audience in that film. Because yeah. they, go, they go straight to best of both worlds at the beginning with um, Picard's assimilation. Yeah. Uh, straight into the Borger coming. There's the whole thing when Picard is with Lily and they're, they're, they're being ignored by the Borg. Yeah. So if you've never seen Star Trek, you're going, Why, what kind of baddies are these? They're ignoring them. They made so few concessions to people that hadn't seen Star Trek in that film, in that at that time, mm -hmm. they just assumed that everybody knew the Borg. That everybody yeah, they had to make up for having produced generations, didn't they? But then, for some reason, to give the the cinema audience a protagonist for Picard, they introduced the Borg Queen, mm. which is the only thing wrong with that movie. And it's like when you made so few concessions, why did you do that? If you take the Borg Queen out of First Contact, would yeah. it diminish the movie? No, but from a... Let's imagine that we're producing Star Trek. Angle. Make money. I presume you, you mean to make money. Yeah. Um, but fans of sci-fi want the goodies to have a win. And you can't win over the old Borg. There is no win. 
I'm still not so, saying I think it's the right decision, but I'm trying to understand their decision, is that the old Borg, there was no win. I, 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 see, I it's mean, like I, wiping out a terrorist cell. Well, it's a cell. There'll be another one to come and replace it in a bit. But I, I think quite often sci-fi isn't about good versus bad or, you know, that, that win-no-win scenario. It does give you more interesting things. Now... There's I'm not win. saying I agree. I was just trying to look at it from their perspective. There's, I'm going to talk about a movie that does have a win-no-win scenario. And the win-no-win scenario is, is the guy getting off the planet safely is the Martian. There's nobody in the Martian. No. But no. it's a yeah. fantastic sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. The baddie is the planet. Mm. You know? So, and sci-fi can do that. Oh, yeah. And the whole point, it comes back to the point I made earlier about the, the Borg being a terrifying mm. enemy when they were one, because the individuality had no meaning. And if you're, if you're an American, as a lot of Star Trek fans are, that's utterly terrifying. Mm. That the, the loss of, I think yeah, we all yeah. think, no, it's identical, but particularly if you're American, we have to think everything's all about the individual at the greater, in my opinion, at the greater cost to society. Um, that's terrifying. But I, then, I think that Voyager could have made it work if they'd have made the Borg Queen work just like a queen in an insect colony. That, yes, it's the one that's at the hub, but the minute it dies, another one's just going to come along and replace it, but it never had that feel to it. Mm. So I think had early into Voyager's contact with the Borg, they killed the Borg Queen, and then another queen have surfaced from the drones, then that would have corrected it nicely because there's still an undestroyable, unstoppable force at that point then. There is no force the centre that you can take down to destroy them, if that makes sense. Because if you go into a insect hive and just kill the queen, then one of the other queens will replace it and that, that the hive will continue. It was never feel, it was, but that was never fully explained in Voyager, was it? No, no, no. That, that never was a thing, but I think that should have been a thing because mm. I think that would have reinforced well, the perpetuality of the Borg. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to introduce the Queen, you have to do that. You can't, you know, either don't introduce the Queen. Yes. Or, or do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That said, First Contact did give us a truly awesome Enterprise episode. Which one are we on? Regeneration where they find the Borg in the North Pole from the Borg that were on the sphere in first contact. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. No. It's, it's called Regeneration, I'm sure. Uh, yep. Derelict ship and two cybernetic alien bodies, which is all right, but did none of them actually do a log? Did any of the Enterprise crew not think that, you know, maybe doing a log and saying that these creatures exist so that when they no, appeared no, no. later on, it would have made a bit more... 
It's the problem well, uh, with prequels. It's the problem with prequels. It's a bit, it's a bit like the Mushroom Drive. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I have issues when people say that, well, New Trek can't do this because it's not canon because XYZ happened in this episode. And it's like, yes, Star Trek has always done that. This isn't a new thing to slightly manipulate it so that it works for a new narrative. That's not a new thing, which is why, to me, that's not a reasonable argument against New Trek. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> I, 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 I thought Regeneration was a really good episode. Despite, no, no, no. I like the despite, episode. Despite being the offspring of the Borg Queen. Mm. No, I, I like the episode. It was just a good chance for me to um, have a go at some more new tech naysayers because that's one of my hobbies. Um, but No, that's my job. I'm the naysayer that has a problem with other naysayers. So that's my job. And I do agree on you with most of the reasons you've got issues with the other naysayers. Your opinion of New Trek is one of the very few that I will respect when it comes to me you telling me you don't like it. Um, because you're going to, you're that going comes to from cry. that comes from a good ground. I don't have to agree with you to respect. I respect your opinion. Um, I don't agree with it. I think you're wrong, and I'll keep telling you that. But there we go. Well, we've got something in common here because we both think we're wrong. So how do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> so was a two-second silence there. Probably. I, I don't know where to go with this. The Borg, the big, bad, the scary. They make transwarp corridors. They've got a shit queen um, who's a bit fit, but, you know. Okay, I mean, are you, are you happy to carry on? Because I've got a wee question here for you. You crack on. I was just okay. rambling. Okay, so what about the ethical dilemma of essentially Jamie using biological or chemical weapons to aid the Borg to defeat their formidable enemy? Janeway is an ethical question because, um, you know, they should have gone back in season one, episode one. Well, episode two, because it was a two-parter. But um, yeah, no, that's that's a difficult one. Ethically, Janeway should not have helped the Borg, but when she started that course of action, I can understand it. But once she discovered that actually it was the Borg who had started the war between the Borg and Species 8472 by trying to go to their space and wipe them out, at that point she should have gone, hang on, I'm not willing to commit genocide on the part of the invading species. What if Species 8472 all looked like Tuvics? then Janeway would have killed them quicker and smiled while she was doing it? She'd have needed more transporter rooms. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the costume mm. budget would have gone up because Tuvix's uniform looks expensive. Yeah. It's cool, but it looks expensive. But they could have just, like, got the actor and just cloned them, you know. But yeah, she would have. She would not have had no hesitation to kill every single two vets. No, no, none at all. Um, which is surprising because she hated the equinox when she came across the equinox. 
you mean like Janeway can't make her mind up what's right and wrong? Well, it's not so much she couldn't. The writers couldn't. I couldn't decide what she was going to be. No. And then that whole thing at the end when Admiral Janeway comes back as this completely different character that it's, yeah, no. Janeway's character arc, well, she doesn't really have a character arc. She has more of a wibbly character line. Yeah, she's all over the place. That's mm. the problem. That's the problem with Janeway. It couldn't, it couldn't contrast anymore with Cisco's arc. No, not at all. Couldn't contrast anymore no. with Cisco's arc. Or even Picard. No. Even Picard has more of an arc. It's a very, very slow one, but there is, it is there. And you see him starting off as this quite officious standoffish captain and by the end of the last episode of TNG sat around the card table playing cards with them but I think he's also more pragmatic and almost every single decision Picard has to make across all seven seasons he's almost certainly far more pragmatic than Janeway is all through Voyager Mm -hmm. we see element the the frustrating thing with Janeway is essentially it's the same thing that's frustrating with Voyager it's a great idea there. Yeah. At times it comes through. And then the rest of the time it's like, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what annoys me about Voyager. Having said that, I love the Doctor in seven episodes because they are the best episodes of Voyager. Yeah. Throughout the time, you know. And Naomi Wildman. I like Naomi Wildman. Yeah. As a director. I, I don't, because there's quite a lot of hate out there for Naomi Wildman, which that, I, I, I don't, I, I don't get. I don't, I don't get it. There's a lot of hate out there for Neelix because he's annoying, and he's annoying in the beginning because he is meant to be annoying in the yeah. beginning. But Neelix is one of the characters that does have a story arc in Voyager. Yeah, Neelix becomes lovable. Yeah. I, I, I quite like Neelix by the time we got... Well, once Kez was out of the way and he stopped yeah. being a paedophile because he was a yeah. paedophile because she was yeah, three yeah, years yeah. old. Um, once she was out of the way, Ke- Neelix was a much better character after Kez was gone. Very much so. But I thought Kez was a very underutilised character anyway. Well, they could have done a wee bit more with her, I think. Yeah. yeah. Harry Kim. Harry Kim is the JJ of Star Trek <laughs> fandom. <laughs> oh, which is a shame because Garrett is amazing. Garrett's a great laugh. He's a brilliant Garrett laugh. Wang is amazing. And oh, please, why didn't they just give him something to do? There's moments where they make fun of the fact that he's still an ensign, and that's quite humorous. Yeah, um, but yeah, but just it's not one of the most underutilized characters, I think, across any bridge crew of any Star Trek series, really. Well, given that they promoted Tom Paris, stroke Nick Lacano, stroke you know. Prisoner Two Four Six or One. Yeah. Uh, and then Harry never got a promotion. 
He got one in Endgame. Did he? I can't remember. Wasn't he a captain in Endgame? I've not seen Endgame for yomps. I, th I think he appears on screen or in reference to something as Captain Kim. Does he? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Old man version of him, obviously, not not the actual one, because he had to wait till he got a new commanding officer, obviously, before he get promoted, because Janeway had never promoted Harry Kane. What's the one where they're in the ice, and how much you could he go back for them? Because there isn't there a... I don't remember. Well, I can't remember that one. Because uh, there is that one as well. Yeah. Mm. So, I, th I think I asked you about half an hour ago what your favourite Borg episode was, and you said Emissary. Yes. Is that because it's in DS9? Yes. So what is it about DS9 that makes that the best episode? Uh, it's the fact that it's not got Janeway in it. Uh, <laughs> it's the fact that... Yeah, where was, where was Janeway at Rule 359? Hmm? Uh, Travelling through the Delta Quadrant. Uh, no, no, she no, no, was no, she not there yet? No, she wasn't there yet, no. Oh, yeah, no, 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 she wasn't. No, no, what am I talking about? No, of course she wasn't. Yeah, where was she? That's a memory alpha job, I think. Where was it Jane is. Wolf? Just let me Google Jane. Way. Okay, you do that. I'll co you you do that. I'll cover this. Okay. And we're waiting on the little spinny thing. The Microsoft timer is turning here. We don't know. There's don't no mention know. of it. It's because you hadn't been invented yet, and that's probably it. The question was raised on Trek BBS back in 2003. <laughs> and nobody knows the answer. I know where she was. She was on that fucking holodeck programme shagging that Irish barman. Possibly. Yeah, yeah no, she must have been doing something in that time. But I suppose... Wolf 359 wouldn't have had every vessel. She could have been on a science outpost yeah. at the other side of the galaxy doing... To be fair to the Star Trek universe, she may not have been a captain, but could have been on a ship, as you say, anywhere. Yeah, she'll have been somewhere doing something. That wasn't Voyager her first command? Uh, I don't know whether that's canon, but it is in her autobiography as being her first command. Is it? Okay. So she have been, could have been first officer or exo... Yeah, on, on another ship, anyway. Or even just like chief science officer on something or something. She was um, back at Starfleet Academy studying how to separate one person into two in a transport team. <laughs> yeah, she failed that class. <laughs> She's never going to lift that one down with you and me. No, I, I'd have kept two Vicks. Well, that would have been a very bold and potentially interesting thing, which is something that Voyager would seemed have away been from. A bit of a pain in the ass for Tim Russell, wouldn't it, when he'd signed up for seven years? Well, <laughs> and Ethan Phillips as well. It probably would have been too expensive to mm. do it because of that. So, yeah. Um, but it would have been a bold, um, interesting thing to do. Uh, undoubtedly about that. Yeah, but way back then, unless you were Tasha Yar, you were expected to be in every series, didn't you? Well, then it helped to be Ben Crosby's granddaughter when you wanted to get out of it. So, <laughs> you know, 
No, I'm not saying that there was star power there and stuff, you know. But yeah, uh, she got out of it because they all signed them. Didn't they sign them all, all up for six seasons? Don't know. Don't know. And she she would have been one of the ones that was there for the original star power. Much more than when the show started, and Patrick Stewart would have been. I mean, they'd, they'd have hoped. They'd have hoped. He was just Patrick, some random Shakespearean, Shakespearean English actor at that point. Yeah, they'd have hoped that he grew to fill the role. Yeah. But Denise Crosby was there because of, you know, not because she's not an, an untalented actress. She did very well, but she was there to get the Crosby name and the titles at the opening sequence. But. Yet again, she's another example of a poorly written, badly utilised character in Star Trek. Are you saying that that was not a great character that she had in the episode Code of Honor? I would say as a whole that the character arc for Tasha Yar was a little bit stand here, say yes, Captain, and well done, that's your job for this episode. Well, she yes, was a little I, bit yeah, she was yeah. a little bit Harry Kim. The way she was utilized was a well, little bit Harry Kim. That's why she left. But yeah. are you still saying that Code of Honor is a bad Star Trek episode? No. No. In the same way, I'm not saying that the um episodes involving Harry Kim where he gets his own exploits are bad episodes, but overall he was a poorly utilized character. See, I, I think Code of Honor is hilarious because of the racism in it. Not that the racism's funny. What's funny is that people thought that was acceptable in an ironic way. Yeah. Now, to watch it now, you go, what the actual fuck is going on here? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the... Yeah, you just... Oh, I'm just looking through pictures of that episode now and it's just making me really sad. I remember watching it as an 18-year-old and I, I, I'm, I'm not saying this in retrospect to sound like I'm some kind of white knight warrior because I'm, I'm not, but I remember watching it and thinking the scene where they had, it's the fight scene and all the... Uh, the people on the planet that are all played by African-Americans because we're not quite sure if it's the director or the writer that was the complete, total racist in it are, like, hitting their sticks together. And I remember watching that as an 18-year-old going, Yeah. What? Is this... Is it... The Ligonians or Ligonians. I remember watching that going, this, um, this looks distinctly dodgy to me, and that would be an understatement of what I was thinking. I actually have that memory going, this yeah. is not... You see... It wasn't funny at the time. Now I think it is funny. Yeah. You know, It could have been a good episode. I think it could have been. I think the overall premise of the episode is good. Quite like the. I'm curious to hear what you think is good about the premise, because uh, I'm, I'm struggling. Okay, so strange new worlds, new civilizations. That's how Star right, Trek okay, is okay, summed right, up. Okay, right. And it is 
a strange civilization. Um, the representation on screen of how they manifested that civilization is atrocious and detracts a lot away from that. Mm. But the actual premise of coming across this species where they do everything different and I just no, I just like that and then eventually we get to an appreciation of different cultures by the time we get to the end okay. and, and, and it's that element of it but the actual way it was represented is horrific and yeah. Well, aesthetics are as aesthetics are important. Very much so. So if we stick with the original premise, okay. Mm. Yeah. No, uh, I, 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 I like I, the premise. I, I, and we swap a blonde white woman for a dark-haired masculine man, Riker. Yep. And the what did you say they were? Uh, Ligonians? Ligonians, okay. And we swap the African-American Ligonians for, say, white, blonde females. I don't really Then you've got got an interesting premise. I don't don't really care what gender and race they are. It's the fact that they took too many stereotypical tropes. Well, but that's what I'm saying about the aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. But they could have had the same cast. Just don't dress them up in pseudo-pantomime versions of historical... I don't think it, I, I don't think it helped that they had the Egonians, is it? Mm. Speaking this pidgin English mm-hmm. African stuff. That just looked and sounded ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was. And patronising. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't come up with enough negative No, no, no. For but that, the actual story of the episode is quite yeah. a nice story. But in no way am I defending that abomination that appeared on screen, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And, you know, she got a chance to actually act for a change, which made a nice change. Well, yeah, she, uh, well, it was meant to be her episode, wasn't it? But, 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 but uh, at least she got oh. to do something other than press three buttons and say, hi, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did. Uh, so, can I, I ask you, because you're a DS9 fan, and I've not seen this episode in a couple of years. People are telling me it plays better than it did at the time. Uh, where are you in Profit and Lace? Oh, I knew you were going to say Profit and Lace. Set it on fire. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm just curious to know as why people have recently, excuse me, I'm having a drink. Please set Profit and Lace on fire. It I'm just is... curious as to know why some people have said it plays better now than it did at the time. Because... That's not my memory of it. I I can't see why it would play any better now. I think it's... It, 
it, it's offensive. It's transphobic. It's uncomfortable. Um, it implies too heavily that a person's gender is a personal choice as opposed to that's what you are. It is... No, it is the episode of DS9 that I wish had never been made. There has to be an element, though, of people um, choosing their gender. If I, I don't know if you've seen this. I'm going to talk about a programme you may not have seen. It's a documentary on Netflix, and it's about sports stars, mm-hmm. okay, who have failed sex tests. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's not it's not in any way black and white binary. Not or, at all. You know, it's like goes like the real comp- and we're talking about people who go back to the sixties and sports stars who failed sex tests in the sixties that came from the west, okay, mm-hmm. as well as those from the east who were clearly manipulated um, or forced in some way to have gender... Well, gender reassignment. Yeah, yeah. Forced gender reassignment, we're talking about in the case of some of the the Eastern Bloc countries. Um, But there was some... That's a song by uh, Cattle Decapitation, by the way, but carry on. Look that up now. Um, but of the, the interesting, don't watch the video on your work computer. Well, the interesting one now is like obviously, probably the most famous sports star in the world that um, has this controversy around him is Casta Samania at the moment, and it's just a brilliant documentary. Mm. And it's, it's anybody who I, I, I'm you know, but I'm pretty much aiming this at turfs who. You know, well, we should aim if, lots of things at them. If you've not watched this, you can't comment in my opinion. I you haven't know. watched it, but still. Well, I've talked about TERFs. You're not a TERF. Are you a TERF? I don't know. I, I think I'd struggle. I think you'd struggle. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's honestly, it's fascinating. Uh, and it's like, I mean, the thing, I mean, I, I mentioned Eastern Europeans that had forced gender reassignment assignment in order yeah. to go go to the Olympics and win gold yeah. medals. Now, the, the Casta Samania, I think, is only around about 30 years old now, because when she won the gold medal about 10, 12 years ago, now her, her first gold medal yeah. about 10, 12 years ago, and then it was, there was all about the testosterone levels that she was um, being tested for and stuff like that, and then there was all the... the it came out that she... Well, she is now female. When she was born, she was a hermaphrodite. And her parents had to choose when she was a baby. Um, And it's like, how... You know, yes, that's her parents, but how can you then arbitrarily decide that this baby, because this baby's been born a hermaphrodite, that this baby's got to be either male or female? Should you not just let the baby develop and then decide as yep. they grow older. Just just for reference, for um, common um, current parlance, we'd use the term intersex. Intersex, is it? Yeah. Okay. 
Sorry. I've, wa- I've watched way too many porn films. Um... No, not into, inter. Oh, that, see you, see you. <laughs> Intersex, okay. I didn't realise um, Scottish people actually said see you. See you, Jimmy. I'm slightly disappointed you didn't call me Jimmy, but you know. <laughs> see you, Jimmy. Uh, Sorry, I so, didn't actually realise Scottish people actually said that. I just thought that was just a... Oh, anyway, uh, to, to cut a long story short, my, yeah. my outrage is aimed at, um, and I'm sure the bent mill was cast as Samania's parents. But there's also the societal thing of having to conform yep. to that pressure. Yeah. Uh, and we, these are conversations we need to be having. We're not having them. We're not having enough of them, at least. Yeah. No, you you are correct there. Um, but yeah, it going back to profit and lace, it implies that a person chooses their gender, which isn't how it works at all it's like gregor when did you decide you were going to be a man you didn't <laughs> I haven't <laughs> I, I did make an assumption there um and it may have been incorrect uh but at no point did you make that decision in the same way at no point um did you decide you were going to be straight but there has to be a a, a percentage and this is one of the things that came up in that documentary that I mentioned. There has to be a percentage of the population, whether we like it or not, because we're not born 100% male straight or 100% female straight or male straight or female eh, male gay or female gay, right? There has to be a small percentage of the population for whom it has to come upon them to decide their gender for medical reasons. Yep. Um... That's where the term intersex comes in. Yeah. And they shouldn't have to make a declaration either way. Well, I I don't... um, I don't have... uh, I'm... Okay, I'm going to say slightly controversial, but it's because I'm a person that doesn't bother, right? I'm not, not quite getting the emphasis that goes on pronouns for the simple reason is I don't care if that no. makes sense no I, I I get that and I know cis people I know trans people I know non-binary people who have very similar opinions that to them their pronouns don't matter mm. but if you imagine that you were your stereotypical lager swilling, football playing, thuggish Glaswegian. I picked Glaswegian because you're from Edinburgh. <laughs> and everybody started referring to them as she, they'd get annoyed. But I would refer to them as she. If you wanted to be using the pronoun she, then I'll call you she. Uh, no, no, I would call them she. Yes, but that would wind them up. Yeah, because and I would know that would wind them up, yeah. But that's not the pronoun they identify with, uh-huh. so that makes them feel uncomfortable. And sometimes people need that validation, that acknowledgement that what they feel on the inside is allowed, is permitted... So by you using the correct pronouns, that validates them and gives them permission to exist. 
Yeah, but I agree with you. But a lot of uh, people also don't care. But then, yeah. Well, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't bother me as no. much. You know, uh, I think, again, on you know, being controversial, I don't think it's something that people should generally, unless they're in the situation that you've just described, uh, should be pre pronouncing. And I, I, I take on board that Gregor doesn't have to shout, I'm Mr, I'm man, he and him, yeah. because I'm a 50-year-old white male. And I do understand that that is not what everyone is. Yeah, you are coming from the position of privilege there. Cis white yeah. male. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I'm big. I know you've not met me in real life, but I'm, I'm, I'm massive, James, honestly. You are taking really. up a lot of my screen. I'm massive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm big, I'm six feet, I'm quite big built, you know, because I've, I've spam all my life, I've done weights all my life. Yeah. Got a bit of a double chin at the moment. That's the COVID double chin's gonna go and it also runs in the family, but so it's never gone away fully. Yeah. Um so there's no doubt what people who see me externally identify me as. And they're correct to identify me as a generally straight white big yeah. male. Yeah, you see, for me, most people refer to me as he because that's what I look like. I called you boy earlier, so yeah, apologies you, for that. No, but. no, but be, it, it doesn't bother me when people do that because that's what I look like, that's what I expect. But that extra bit of acknowledgement is someone who used they and someone who used them in conversation, just that little extra bit of acknowledgement just feels right. It's just that, yes, we. I, I know you exist, you are who you are, and that's fine. And that, that's, that's what it is to me. And everybody's different, but that's what it is to me. Mm. But you'll uh, notice when we're doing these things, I never pick you up if you use he. To be honest, you could use she, and I still wouldn't pick you up on that either. But that little nod of acknowledgement when they is used just feels right. Well, it's okay because my nieces, because I've had this conversation with my nieces who are 10 and 13, by the way. Yeah. And they call me she and auntie all the time, thinking mm. it's going to get to me. They go, Auntie Gregor, where is she? And stuff like that. And they think it's going to get to me. Because they are... Uh, well, they are progressive, because my sister's a bit like me. You know, well, she, my sister's totally like me, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was actually through... Because they live 20 miles away that way, mm. uh, in Bowness, and they were having a gay pride party yesterday. Um, so I went through to that for a to have an hour with them yeah. at that. Um, I never called, you know, and then, of course, my two nieces were getting other pals to call me she and auntie, you know, thinking it was going to get to me. It's like, oh, I don't care. I really yeah. don't care, you know. Does that mean I'm going to be, you call me she? <gasps> Am I going to lose five stone and go back to 12 stone again? <laughs> But, no, no, it's it's the it's the validation. It really is. Oh, no, and, I, I, from your point, yeah, I totally get that. But and I think... profit and loss invalidates all of that. It's yeah, because just... 
I, I'm not because a couple of people say to me, oh, "Play's better now." It's not my memory of it. I haven't rewatched it in a long time, and I'm like, hmm, it, really? it doesn't even play like drag. If it had played like drag, that would have been more acceptable. You see, I think because we spoke about it earlier, the the outcast. It's, mm. qu it's quite hard for me to see beyond that in terms of all the issues that were relating to gender, sexuality, and stuff like that. And that was one episode, and it covered so many of them. Very much so. And considering that that was 1992, yeah. that's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. To have that sort of representation in 1992 is... Well, it's taken until last year before we got the first recurring permanent recognition of a, a non-binary character in the Star Trek universe. I've purposely put all those extra bits in because of what we said before. Um, <laughs> qualify it, qualify it. Yeah. I, I, I did. Um, and to think that back in 1992, those topics were being discussed and were being mentioned and were being reflected in Star Trek is one of the reasons why Star Trek is so fantastic. It's the progressiveness of Star Trek. It's the unabashed willingness to confront society's bullshit. You, you wouldn't remember this in 1992, because you'd have been... Because I was 10. Were you 10? Yeah. So you might remember some of what was going on, what I'm about to reference. But um, between 1986 and around about 1992, um, we were just bombarded with adverts with tombstones and AIDS and stuff like that. And that led to quite a lot of homophobia mm. um, at the time by being perceived to be a homo, yeah. a homosexual disease and stuff like that. And, it, you know, that all started in 1986 when I was 16. I thought I was never going to have sex in my entire life looking at these adverts. Yeah. I thought, no one's going to want to have sex with all this going on. And did that prepare you well for when it never happened? Um, I'm still getting over it. <laughs> uh, and I was having, I was actually with friends on Friday from work. So I was out with Denise, who's a lesbian, a 30-year-old lesbian, okay? And Max, who's a 22-year-old straight guy. Yeah. And Connor, um, who's 28 now. Yeah. And probably largely straight, I think. Um, and I was talking to Denise because about um as you do, you have you have these casual conversations about yeah. sex, you know. And uh, I was talking about we were talking about Grindr and Tinder and you know, she was talking about a couple of other dating apps that she's on because she's came out with one long term relationship, she's into another one. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, Denise, this is like Miles away from my experience growing up, you know, growing up in my small mining town, yeah, just outside of Edinburgh, where adverts with big tombstones and AIDS mm -hmm. on them, and you're all going to die if you have sex. To where you guys are now, and you you keep making age jokes, occasionally when we talk about promiscuity and stuff like that, yeah, and it's like, well, it's, it's not it's not quite there yet now because there's no shame in getting STI checked. There's no shame in taking. No. The drugs. But there was. Uh, no, yeah, no. There's no shame in taking the drugs that, that mm. prevent it. There's, you know, there's no shame in, in 
safe sex. I would go to say there's no shame. There's not the same level of shame. Okay, I'll, I'll finish it. I'll qualify it at that. But, yeah, yeah. And it has changed. The stigma has lessened. It has changed things. And I says, but you've got all these apps now, right? It's like, wow. I mean, I wish I was 20 again. Oh my God, what fun I would have. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, it's It's got to the point where in, in combination, ordering but, a shag can be as easy as ordering a pizza. Yeah, but <laughs> in combination... Actually, no, all, Domino's and, takes longer to deliver than Grinder. Yeah, man. In combination, in combination with all the responsibilities alluding mm. to the health checks that I've just yeah. referred to, and the um, the fact of just not being as morally judged. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, saying that, and it's like, and this is coming back to profit and lease, and pigeonholing yeah. people. Yeah. Because I'm just not getting it. No, I just... I really, really hate it. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. I really hate it. Well, actually, can we talk little, about the, Move Along Home again? <laughs> the point I want to make is about the, the outcast, the, what I've just described to you in terms of when I was like 16 to 22, yeah. the outcast was written in that time. Yes, yes it was. And if the outcast was written now, you'd still say it's an incredibly progressive episode. Very much so. Very much so. And that was all because of the Borg. Yeah, yeah, it was because of the Borg. Oh, by the way, have you seen It's a Sin on Channel 4? Keep meaning to watch it. I know it's on 04. I keep meaning my sister's told me I should watch it. Make sure you're in a happy place mentally before you watch it. It's not one to watch when you're on a downer. I look like a happy person. Make sure you're not on one of the lower Gregor moments when you watch It's a Sin, because it is not a happy, joyful romp. Um, but it is incredibly powerful. It really does show what was happening in the late 80s, early 90s in the UK specifically with the AIDS crisis and how that just... But decimated the gay population of the UK. Yeah, there's actually a, um, on a slow, again, I'm serious, no? Um, on the BBC iPlayer, there's an archive of the BBC Horizon programmes. Mm. And one of them is called, it's dating from 82, I think, 1982, yeah. uh, called Killer in the Village. And it's about the discovery of what was called at that time the Grids virus in Greenwich Village. Right. Um, but it's from 1982. Yeah. So it, it's what was happening in 1982. So it's told from that perspective. Yeah. Albeit, albeit because it's arising scientifically. Yes. Uh, um, and not what we know now. Yeah. Um, so, you know. If, if you're interested, have a good check at that. But yeah, no, I need to catch up with it. Sin. I've not seen it, and everybody tells me I need to watch it. Everybody, the, everyone whose opinion I value tells me I need to watch it. And me. And you, everyone whose opinion I value, <laughs> and you, James. But, so, yeah, I'm not quite sure how we got onto that. That was wonderful a conversation as that was. Don't quite know how we got from that to there from the Borg. But do you know how we got there? Because conversations like that are important. Because of Star Trek. 
It is, yep. And they are important. So there you go. So I oh, so what would you say? What's your favourite Borg episode anyway? You've asked me a few times. Sorry to I'm kinda of sorry to say this. But I was there at the time and saw it when it was first played, and it's got to be the best of both worlds, part one. Yeah, I'm not going it's, it's nostalgia because I was watching it on BBC Two on the Wednesday at six o'clock when it first yeah. went out, and, I, and you can't take that away from someone. No, and I don't think I know anybody who would say that's a rubbish Star Trek episode. <laughs> well, well there, there is that. Uh, I think. Because of the impact mm. that it had, that all our Borg episodes then have to measure up to it. That's the problem with it. Yeah. I'm quite glad that I'm too young to have remembered it being broadcast purely because I don't think I'd have wanted to wait for the next season when I could watch Best of Both Worlds Part Two. <laughs> I can't imagine. Seriously, it was it's, murder. Yeah, it it's was like, absolutely murder. It's like when my little girl's watching um, through the Avengers at the moment. And la uh, last week she just finished and we got up and Thanos had done his click and Spider-Man had faded off into nothingness. And she went, I'm going to watch the next one now. And I went, you're not, you're going to wait a year. She went, yeah. what do you mean? I said, well, I had to wait a year. You can wait. A I, I didn't <laughs> make her wait a year, obviously. <laughs> but... Did you get the blade out and smash it with a hammer? <laughs> I had to wait a year to see that Spider-Man wasn't dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had to wait a year. Yeah, exactly. And it'll that's the on in my reference point, that's the nearest thing I can get to imagining what seeing Best of Both Worlds part one and then waiting for part two was like. I can't think of another popular culture thing that was so pivotal and had such a huge cliffhanger. Hmm as the last two Avengers films and Best of Both Worlds, part one and two. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything. No, it was the only head. contemporary yeah. reference to somebody of my age that I could think of. Oh, it's no coincidence that Kevin Feige was a big Star Trek fan. Isn't that just because everybody with half a brain cell is a big Star Trek fan? Yeah, apart yeah. from JJ. Apart from JJ, because he's not seen Deep Space Nine. JJ watched Deep Space Nine. Well, that was a big one. That was a big one. I don't think it was the best of both worlds one where the Cardassians captured Deep Space Nine. Yes, yes. I don't think it, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it had quite had the, oh shit, Captain Picard's a Borg. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have that. But what was good about it was it took six episodes to get it back. Mm. They didn't get it back in uh, yeah. season episode one of season six. We'd wait six episodes before they got it back. The thing is, because it's Deep Space Nine and it's set on Deep Space Nine, you know that they're going to get it back. Was when it's Captain Picard captured by the Borg. Who's to say that Paramount haven't replaced Patrick Stewart with somebody else and this is how they're writing him out? Yeah. You, you, you've no idea. In the same way, who's to say whether um, 
Spider-Man's going to come back. Who's going to? Who's to say whether Star Lord's coming back? We we've no idea until we actually see that because for best of both worlds and the Marvel universe, these are ways where they could have quite easily just written those characters out. And we didn't know whether they'd done it or not. Whereas Deep Space Nine has been captured by Cardassians. Yeah. All right. They'll, they'll get it back. I'd love to see how it's going to happen, but they're going to get it back. Yeah. In the same way, you know, Voyager is never going to get destroyed in any episode of Voyager. Because no, otherwise the series stops. Well, I told you it was going to be seven seasons right from the start. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like Discovery as a ship will probably carry on because it's called Discovery. So they're not going to take the ship away. No. Because it's the titular part of the series. The one exception might be that I wouldn't be surprised if Picard dies at the end of Picard. I don't think he had, no, to be honest, but that will be the end. Yeah, he's got to die at some point. Yeah, they're not going to kill Picard season two, episode one. No. So no matter how much danger he's in season two, episode one, you know he's going to get through it. Yeah. So it's not like the best of both worlds where you didn't know. So can I just ask, because we've been on quite a long time tonight, what percentage of time do you think we've actually spoken about the Borg? We might be able to get it into double figures if we try really hard. Well, I've actually got it in front of me because I've got a little algorithm here that recognises every time we see the Borg. Okay. Uh, and it's like 8%. That's we've not spent, too bad. We've spent talking about the Borg. So. Is that like quite close to 7.9%? Well, it's a huge improvement on what we normally do on the topics that we're assigned. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than last week where we just didn't even bother talking about the origin at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was fun to watch JJ trying to keep dragons back on track, though. He's, he's just not. He's just not getting it. It was fun to watch. It's fun to watch him when I kept feeling his knee as well. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you can see him kicking me under the table every time I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was fun. So it's been an absolute pleasure. It has. It's been a really good chat. Never a chore. James, um, where can we find you on Twitter? Because we talk about tweeting each other all the time. We do. And if you want to watch Gregor and I's Twitter spats, where basically we just send silly gifts to each other, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Familiton. You can follow me at Crabbit Ginger. Even though I'm going grey, if you're watching, um, I'm definitely more silver than ginger these days. Oh, did you used to be ginger? I thought you'd named yourself after that alcoholic ginger beer. No, no, I was ginger at one point. When, when I started my Twitter account, I was ginger. <laughs> not, in, not anymore. So uh, it's been fantastic once again, James. Yes, and, it has. Uh, it's been good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off and live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. And I still don't know why we do the hamster. Neither did I.